You're listening to a sermon by Covenant Church. Uh, we're, we're currently in a series and we're going through uh, the life of Joseph. We are in uh, Genesis. And uh, last week, uh, we kind of, Josh kind of took us through uh, what, what was really a, a powerful sermon. Like in my heart, like the words that stuck from that sermon was, well, you know, that, that what if uh, these are the years of abundance? Um, and I couldn't shake that off. I was like, what if God is doing something so mighty and powerful right now in my life and I, uh, I'm, I'm not noticing it. And we see that even last week uh, that the world was coming to Joseph to be saved. That uh, Joseph had um, been given this position by God. God had put him in this position and uh, the world was coming to Egypt to be saved. Uh, they were all, there was a famine and people were hungry and ultimately, Joseph had been given this position by Pharaoh to come up with a plan, and he comes up with this plan. And the, the point I want to make with that this morning is this. We have seen Joseph's life throughout the last few weeks as this life that has these incredible downs. He had one up in Genesis 37 where he got a coat, and it doesn't look like anything else that happened in Joseph's life was worth getting that coat until last week when we see Joseph now in this position of power. So if we're summarizing this morning, we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 42. We're going to dive into Genesis chapter 42, and we're going to pick up this story here as Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. Now, I'm going to summarize a little bit of this before the first part of this, and then we're going to read from verse 6. But what's happening here is that this famine has hit everyone, and we know that uh, Jacob is still in Canaan with uh, Joseph's other brothers, and they too are in need of saving. They, they too are in need of grain. And so Jacob looks at his sons and he tells them, hey, stop just standing around and, and, and you know, looking at each other. Why don't you go and do something about our hunger? And so they set off to Egypt. And um, we see here that this is not just, I, sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, we read Scripture, we sometimes narrow it down or maybe or you know if you're like me I'm not accusing you of the same thing but if you're like me you might be a little too simplistic and think that well it's just 12 people that are starving here but it's a whole family their children their children's children their servants the people who are a part of their community these are all people these could be hundreds of people at this point in time that are hungry and so they're sent by Jacob to Egypt to go and make a plan and we find here that Jacob is still playing favorites, that Jacob only sends 10 brothers, and he says, Benjamin, stay behind. We find that Jacob may be still playing favorites, or maybe he's aware of his son's wickedness, and he doesn't trust the other 10, and rightfully so. He says, Benjamin's not going anywhere with you. Benjamin's going to stay behind. So we pick this up here in, uh, in verse 6, in verse six, Genesis 42, I'm going to read here, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy fruit. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams 
that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. We're going to pause there and I want to unpack uh, this passage of scripture. There's so many things to unpack in this, in this chapter that you know, I've had to be prayerful to really, really seek the Lord on what we need to narrow down in, in this passage of scripture. And the first thing that I can tell you is the fulfillment of God's word. We see that in this first part of this passage of scripture, um, there is one of the most awkward family reunions that you might read about in the Bible. I don't know if any of you are big fans of family reunions. Um, I don't know if you're fans of uh, impromptu family reunions, but I can tell you that it's all going to be a fun fam family reunion if some of you tried to sell one of your brothers and now you're meeting that person again and they happen to be the second most powerful person in all the world. I don't know if that's going to go well. And I find that in this passage of Scripture, it's been 20 years since Joseph was put into that pit. Think about this. 20 years between the last time these brothers saw Joseph. Joseph was 17. He probably had a beard and they tossed him in the pit. And now it's been almost uh, uh, maybe a little over 20 years since they've seen him. And we find here that ultimately as Joseph looks upon his brothers and recognizes them, something comes to his memory and he remembers this dream that he had when he was 17 years old in Canaan. And God's word is fulfilled. God's word will accomplish what God's word sets forth to accomplish. What God had shown Joseph, the dream that God had shown Joseph, it came to pass. And I want to encourage us with that, church. What God has said will happen. Regardless of how long, regardless of what we see around us, regardless of what you're experiencing, regardless of the highs and lows of your life, regardless of what it may look like, it may look like the enemy is victorious, it may look like we're living in a time where God is losing, it may look like people are falling away from the Lord. The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That is God's word, that is what will come to pass. That there will be a day where everything that God has said will come to pass. And in this passage of scripture, we see that this dream that Joseph had in Canaan, these brothers who, who put Joseph in a pit, who wanted to kill Joseph, are now the very brothers that are bowing down before Joseph just as that dream had said. God's word will accomplish what it was purposed to accomplish. We see that in Isaiah 55, it says this, that God's word doesn't return void. Amen. Amen. That's the best news we could possibly hear this morning, church, is God's word will not return void. And church, I love this. I know that there are leaders right now that are being encouraged to go through the entire Bible. And the reason why that is so important, church, is because we need to know what God has said. We need to know the word of God in order for us to be expectant for the things that God has said to come to pass. Some of us may be discouraged, and yet God's word has said, hey, listen, don't, you don't need to be discouraged if you know God's word, because you know exactly what God is working and what God will bring to pass. He is a powerful God, he is a mighty God, and his word will come to pass. But we find here in this passage of scripture that Joseph is okay. I think Joseph's in a good position. Joseph probably has the best 
Uh, I don't even know what, what they had back then. He probably has the, the flyest chariots. You know, Joseph is all draped up in gold. That's why they don't recognize Joseph probably because Joseph looking really, really good. Joseph probably has like a skincare program, Neutrogena maybe. He's got like, he's changed his plan. He's no more dusty Canaan Joseph. He's now big baller Joseph and he's hanging out. And, and I don't know, Joseph's life's good. And in chapter 41, we see that Joseph's given this beautiful wife. Joseph has a beautiful wife. He has two kids going, He's, he's powerful. He's a governor. Joseph's good. So God reminding Joseph of this dream is not making Joseph central in the story. Joseph, the dream that you had isn't about you being good. This dream was about so much more. Isn't it amazing that Joseph is good, he's okay, and yet God still goes, listen, what I set forth is still going to happen. Church, it's not really about us, right? The things that God is doing in our lives, we are not the main character in the story. Isn't that awesome, though? Can you imagine if you were the main character of the Bible? How depressing would that be? <laughs> that the world is like, we're just following your life. Now, that would be so, I know you're amazing and everything, but that would be horrible. It'd be so boring. And then he woke up and went to Merck and then he punched in or he went to J&J and he counted labels. Isn't this I'm glad we're not following your life. I'm glad you're not following mine. I'm glad that Jesus is the main character of the Bible. And I'm glad that that's the narrative that God has chosen for us to follow and see that Jesus, God, his accomplishments through the whole arc of scripture. That's the main story. Not even Joseph can take center stage. God is doing something greater than Joseph. Amen. I love it. I have friends who have um, these tickets. Uh, they have good seats for the sixes or used to. But here's the deal. Like, they, you know, and here's the thing. At best, sometimes when the camera zooms out, you can see the back of their heads. And when we're watching the Sixers, sometimes we look out for them. We're like, ah, oh, there they are. And we're like, there they are. That's the back of their head. We, we know the back of their heads just by watching Sixers game. Like, that's them. And we pause, and it's all blurry. And you know the reason why it's blurry and they're in a corner? They're not the main characters. No one is watching that game except maybe for us for one second looking for them. Everyone else is looking at Joel Embiid all the time. They're not looking in the corner of the screen. And church, praise God, we're in the corner of some little screen somewhere and we're part of this story and we're just happy to be in the frame sometimes. Praise God. We have 1.5 seconds. Amen. But Jesus is the main character. So we find in this passage of Scripture, church, there's a lot happening here. But I want to point this out. This is a confrontation. A confrontation between people who had damaged someone's life, who had disregarded someone's life, who had thrown that person into a pit, sold them into slavery, and they are now confronting him for the very first time, and he is in a position of power. We find here that there's a greater story, a greater lesson. I love that Josh said, hey, listen, reading this story isn't about, hey, this is how to become like Joseph. You must become like Joseph. This is the best. But, but really, ultimately, at the end of the day, we can glean some lessons from watching how Joseph interacts with those who had hurt him. We find here the mercy of God is being displayed through Joseph. As we read that, as we read verses 6 to 9, we see that there's this beautiful example 
of how God is working through Joseph. And we see this beautiful example of God's mercy and how God treats those who come to him, who have sinned against him, who have done wrong to him. And we see that there's grace and mercy all over this passage. You know, church, I, as a, as a pastor for as many years as I've been in ministry, I know that church, there are many times I've encountered people who only know the, maybe the, I don't even want to say the negative aspects of God, but they focus in and then when they look at God, they see God as this character, this vengeful character that's waiting to pounce on every mistake that you make, that has no joy, no fun, no grace, and is just going, if you mess up, I'll be there to catch you. And that's, that's not at all the description of God in the, in the Word. It's not untrue to think that God is a God of justice and God is a, is a God who takes sin seriously, but it is a mischaracterization of God to not identify him first as one who pours out mercy and grace upon those who have wronged the Lord. You know, we find in Exodus 34, verses 68, I think it's important for us to even just take a look at that. God is, is speaking to Moses, and God, in this passage of Scripture in, in Exodus 34, he, he tells Moses, he says, this is who I am, this is my character, this is my name. And we find here, if you read this in verses 68, Exodus 34, it says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, talking about Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And we pause there for a second, church, before I read the rest. Look at how God has said, this is my name. This is who I am. This is my character. He first defines himself as a God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then God says this, forgiving the iniquity and transgression and sin. And God says, I cover it all. I forgive it all. But it does say this, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That God is serious about sin. That God is a just God. But God defines himself on the front end as one who pours out mercy and grace and forgives. And we can translate that to thousands, we can try to think that to thousands of generations. And we look at that, sometimes we zone in and say, God is one who punishes the children's children. And we go, oh, how could God do that? And we miss the fact that God says, I, I, I give my steadfast love, forgiveness, thousands of generations. How amazing is that? And the reason why I bring this up, church, is not just to tell you that there's a passage of Scripture in Exodus 34 that talks about God's name. This very passage, we see that in action. If you look at this family and you see how God blesses the generations that are to come of these wicked brothers, 
we find that this is truly God's nature and truly God's character. In his word, we are part of those thousands of generations that have been given this blessing by God of forgiveness in Christ. That is what God is working. That is amazing news here, church. This is who God is. But we find here in this confrontation, one thing we can glean from Joseph is this. That God healed Joseph before his brothers ever came to Egypt. That God healed Joseph's heart before this confrontation. Church, how many of you know that a confrontation with those that have hurt us when we ourselves have not yet been healed can be a very disastrous situation? How many of you know that this passage of scripture could have gone terribly wrong if Joseph was not in the right place? How we know, how many of us know that these brothers' vengeance would be an outpouring of a, un, uh, a, a Joseph who hadn't dealt with the trauma of the past and what his brothers had done to him. If, the, if he had not dealt with that, it would have been a, a terrible, terrible confrontation. And church, I want to stop by saying this. Let us, in this series, something that can, you can connect to maybe the second or third message that was preached in this series is that God wants you to be healed, not just for, for you, but really God wants you to be healed so that there isn't further damage in your life someday when you bump into the people that have hurt you. God wants you to be okay. He wants you to be good. And we get a hint from this if we look at chapter 41. We, get, we see that when Joseph had two kids, his firstborn he called Manasseh. And Manasseh has a meaning. It says, the meaning, Joseph says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's household. When Joseph's firstborn was born, he, he, he held him in his hands and he called him Manasseh. And he says, I'm going to call you this because God has healed my heart. God has made me forget being thrown into a pit. He's made me forget being sold as a slave. He's made me forget being put through Potiphar's house, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's made me forget that. And he's also made me forget those guys back there in Canaan. Joseph, his heart has been healed. His second son, Ephraim, means for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph could now identify that his trouble had actually led to God being glorified more in his life. He was healed, church. And this confrontation, he was ready for it. It is important for us to see this church so that we see Joseph's actions in the right light, that Joseph is not giving his brothers the go around. He's not trying to punish them. He's not dangling a carrot in front of them. But ultimately, Joseph is healed. He's restored. He's whole. And he is working something else through the Spirit of God. He's working something much greater in his brothers' hearts. God wants us to be healed before that confrontation. And church, my prayer this morning is that there would be a blessing, a Manasseh blessing upon our hearts because church, if there's something I know that lies in this room is that many of us are holding on to our past hurts. We hold on to people and we carry them in our lives like excess baggage and it weighs us down. And for some of us in this room, as we've gone through this before in this series, is that these are real hard things that you've gone through in your past, real hurts, 
real difficulties, but I believe that God can heal our hearts to a point of saying, hey, listen, maybe you don't forget. I'm not saying everyone forgets. I'm not even saying that forgetfulness is a, is a good thing in all cases, but in Joseph's case, God caused him to forget. God caused him to forget. And there's a forgetfulness even in God's word that the word of God encourages us to, to pursue. It encourages us. In Philippians 3, Paul encourages us to forget what lies behind and press on toward the goal. Paul says, forget about that and continue to pursue the things of God free of the baggage, free of all of that. Pursue the Lord. Press on toward the prize, church. Forgetfulness, that's good. I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know, I, I said this to my wife. I said, said they, they say, you know, I don't know who they, it's the safest thing to say. They say, you know, so that you can't be quoted or misquoted. Said they say, you know, that uh, when you give birth, you forget the pain of labor. And that's how you can have more kids. And uh, my wife was like, don't you, dare, don't you dare say that. You may have forgotten. <laughs> I did not forget. But there is a forgetfulness, church. A forgetfulness of pain that allows us ultimately to re-enter even into what restoration God has for us. Because restoration and reconciliation is part of the heart of God. God is not trying to leave things broken. He's not a God of chaos. He's not trying to, no matter how comfortable you've gotten with the brokenness around you, maybe the brokenness in your families, church, you continue to pray for someday restoration to occur, for someday reconciliation to occur, because that is the heart of the Father. That may not be my desire. There are people in my past that I hope to never see again, church, and I'm just being honest because they hurt me. And I'm like, I don't think I ever want to see you again, but I have to know that if God is at work in me, there is a chance, and church, there will be a chance, someday in the future maybe, where in my own heart, when God has done a work in my heart and has healed my heart where I will confront maybe someone who hurt me but I'll be able to say I want to see restoration and reconciliation happen between us because that glorifies God so we find in this passage of scripture church that there's healing but healing doesn't occur it's not just healing we find here that there's confrontation in verse 7 in verse 7, we find here in this confrontation with Joseph and his brothers, it says Joseph recognized them and he treated them as strangers. Church, I don't know how that sounds to you. How he treated them as strangers. At first, when I looked at this passage of scripture, I was like, Joseph treated them as strangers. Is that a godly way to treat your brothers? I was thinking about that. And, and, and I was reminded here that Joseph even in treating them as strangers, is a grace and a mercy upon these brothers. He did not treat them as they should have been treated, as guilty as they should have been treated. They should have been treated as criminals. They should have been treated as people who sold their very own into slavery, who plotted to kill him. And yet it is a mercy that Joseph treated them as strangers. He recognized them 
and he treated them as strangers. And church, we find in this passage of scripture, I don't know the person that you're waiting to meet again in life. You know, there's that one person, church, right? If, you, if they ever saw you again, that teacher in fourth grade, some of us carry the fourth grade teacher, I'm just saying. You're so bad at division, you'll never amount to anything. And you just want to pull up at your fourth grade teacher's house in your BMW and say, look at me now. I told you so. Church, that's not the heart of God. You need to change that plan if it's on your plans. The church, Joseph treats them as strangers. He treats them as strangers with a heart toward them that's trying to outwork restoration, reconciliation, confrontation, repentance, conviction. We find Joseph is doing so much more in this passage of Scripture. We even find that in two verses, we find this said twice that Joseph recognizes brothers. And we see this again in, in verse, we see this again in verse 8, and it says, and Joseph recognized his brothers. It says it twice, and the second time it says it, it says, but they did not recognize Joseph. And for the reasons that I might have told you, Joseph might have not have been easy to recognize in this moment, right? Joseph didn't look like 17-year-old Canaan Joseph. Joseph was speaking Egyptian. Joseph was in a position of power. Joseph was in a position that his brothers were not expecting to see Joseph in. And so Joseph recognized them. It was a greater pool of brothers to look at and say, I think I recognize these guys. I recognize these accents, these voices, these faces, but they did not recognize him. And church, is that not much like the story, the way that we see the gospel, the way we see God, the way we see Jesus, is that Jesus recognized us way before we recognized him. A church that Jesus had made provisions, he had made a way, he had made a plan for redemption and restoration to save us from certain deaths. And even as we came to him, Jesus recognized us. Jesus has always recognized you. And church, it is that amazing moment where we go, where our eyes are open and we recognize Jesus, where true reconciliation can happen and true restoration can happen. John chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, as we see and as we look at Joseph as some kind of a prototype savior, as, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, and as we've been seeing through the story, it's all over this passage of scripture, how Joseph is, is in some ways a shadow of who Jesus would, would ultimately be and fulfill and, 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 and do all these things, not just for his family, not just for Israel, but for the whole world, we find that Joseph is playing that part. And we see this in, in John chapter 1, verse 11. It says, the true light, in verse 9, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. A church, the true light was Jesus, came into a world that he created, and yet the world did not recognize him. The world that he, the very world that he came to save, and yet the world did not recognize him. Church, I don't know 
if we can truly be reconciled without, without actually opening our eyes and recognizing who Jesus is. Truly recognizing who Jesus is. At church, we say this time and time again. At coming to church alone is not recognizing Jesus. Coming to church and checking it off the list and saying, I've done a good thing, is not recognizing Jesus. You might be in the presence of Jesus' stuff, but recognizing Jesus is ultimately our lives, our eyes being opened, recognizing him as Lord and Master, recognizing him as the one who leads our lives and saying, Lord, I surrender everything to you and I choose to turn away from my wicked ways and follow you. True repentance, church, it is what we preach and it is what we will preach over and over again. That repentance, a repentant heart is what Jesus is after. I recognize you, Jesus. You are Lord of my life, not me. Not I'm going to hold on to this little part of my life and keep this, Jesus, all my life. I recognize you are Lord of all of it. Lord, you take control. He is the one we ought to recognize, church. And if you guys were all much younger, I'd say, turn to your neighbor and say, you better recognize, because we better recognize Jesus. We better recognize Jesus. And we see here that Joseph, in this passage of Scripture, he recognizes his brothers. He's made a way for them. And there's such a powerful, powerful story in that. Powerful connection to Jesus. And then we see here in the last, we see here that after this, Joseph looks at his brothers and he puts them to the test. And before verse 18, we're going to read from verse 18 shortly, but in between that, Joseph, he recognizes his brothers. He says, hey, you're spies. You've come to check out the land. He accuses them of being spies. He throws them in jail for three days. He's like, listen, I need to test some things here. I remember these guys. I need to put them to the test. Have they really changed? And then we find here in verse 18, it says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, listen to this church, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. Joseph has this confrontation with his brothers. And after they've sat in this prison cell for three days, Joseph pulls them out and, and, and they keep hearing Joseph saying one thing over and over again. Where's your brother? Where's your brother? Where's your brother? And ultimately, at the end of the day, church, 
the conviction of that line of questioning led by the Spirit of God, it causes the brothers to remember a 20-year-old sin that they had buried all the way down in their hearts and chosen to forget. And it comes back up to remembrance. We are guilty. There is a brother that we wronged. A conviction comes upon them, church. I want to say this, church. It's not sinful to test and see if people have truly changed. It's not a bad thing when people who caused harm and brought harm to your life, to your family, to the community, that when they come back into your life, it's not bad to, to ask them, have you truly changed? Church is actually a good thing to do that. And I know oftentimes Christians were accused of being kind of blasé about, oh yeah, grace, we just say, hey, there's grace. Listen, if you were doing harmful things out there, that those things would be tested. People will ask you questions of that. It's a good thing. Have you truly changed? Has repentance truly occurred in your life? But we see, though, that even in that line of questioning, that God is doing something greater rather than just seeing, have you truly changed? God is convicting the brothers of what they had done. Not church, I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit in church and I'll hear the preacher preach and it feels like the preacher was following me all week. Has that ever happened to you? How do you know? How do you know? A few weeks ago, I'm pretty sure, someone was like, every time I go to this church, they're talking about sex. I can't believe it. It feels like something is going after me and it keeps coming up. Maybe it's like, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a song that we keep singing and you're like, ah, I wish I would just stop singing that song because it's making me look at my heart. It's making me think, is Jesus really the master of my life? Church, the conviction of the Lord comes, and it doesn't come so that we may stay in guilt. No, church, it comes so that we may acknowledge our guilt, so that we may truly be set free. I love that this passage of Scripture in, in Genesis chapter 42, it doesn't end with reconciliation. We're going to take a look at that in future weeks to come. But church, spoiler alert! This story does end in reconciliation. It does end in restoration. And church, it is because the brothers finally acknowledged their guilt before one another that they had committed something that was evil and wrong, that God could start the process of repentance and reconciliation and restoration. Church, if the conviction of the Lord has stopped convicting you, church, you have a problem. If God has stopped letting you know that what you're doing is wrong and you keep on suppressing it and dulling it and dulling it, and now God says, go and live your life however you want, that is the worst position to be in. Church, the conviction of God is a grace from the Lord. For us to know that church, not one of us in this room was not guilty. Everyone was guilty. Each and every one of us, church, in acknowledging that guilt, Jesus 
Yes, that is me, a guilty sinner before you. I was guilty, but praise God, we're not left at guilty. That even though the verdict was guilty, these brothers did not have to pay for their sin. That Joseph would ultimately pour out his mercy upon these brothers. What they thought was coming to them was not what came to them. It was actually mercy and grace. And that is our story, church. Even though we are guilty, even though we sinned greatly, even though we did not recognize Jesus, he poured out his mercy and we did not get the wrath we deserve. Instead, we were given a blessing. Church, in this passage of scripture, and I'm gonna wrap up with this, we see in this passage of scripture that these brothers are blessed by God. They're blessed. If you read the Bible from this point on, you'll see that Reuben is blessed. We'll see Gad is blessed, Issachar is blessed, Asher is blessed, Simeon is blessed, Judah is blessed, Zebulun is blessed, Dan is blessed, Naphtali is blessed. We see they're all blessed. Benjamin is blessed, even though he's like, I had nothing to do with that. He's blessed too. We find that everyone is blessed. And the forgiveness that went to one person in one of these families, we find, and I would encourage you to do this, you're like, I always skip numbers. Go and read numbers and see how many people benefited from the blessing of the forgiveness that Joseph bestowed upon one brother. In numbers, there's 46,500 people in Reuben's tribe alone. There's 45,650 people in Gad, 54,400 in Issachar, 35,400 in Benjamin, Asher, 41,500. Go and read Numbers Church. With this in context, you go, oh my goodness. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are blessed because of one decision to pass on forgiveness to one person. And church, we don't talk about God's blessing enough, but this morning, you could be making one decision that changes the trajectory of generations to come in your family. I know that when I look back, there is generation after generation after generation, divorce, brokenness, alcoholism, prostitution, thieves, murderers. Oh, when I look back, there are people in my generation that are so messed up. But guess what, church? As for some reason, at some point, God's mercy poured out again on me. And I said yes to Jesus. And that wasn't even my own hand going up. The Bible says that was a faith given to me by God. And I said yes to Jesus. Came to know the Lord. And guess what? From generation to generation to generation, going forward, there are people who will say, the chief of coils are a family that follow Jesus. Yeah. He is the God who blesses to thousands of generations. Church, this morning, let's talk about the blessing of God. We are not guilty. We are set free and we are blessed. And church, I don't know if you're in this room and maybe you haven't thought about the blessing. Maybe you are someone who's living in the blessing of a grandfather that prayed that prayer. And all of a sudden, the trajectory of your family changed. I've seen a church with my own two eyes. Generations in this church where the children are blessed. 
The children walk in the light. The children are followers of Jesus Christ. Church, I, I want to encourage you. Maybe your kids, maybe you have made that decision to follow the Lord and maybe your kids aren't following Jesus right now. Church, this morning we want to storm the heavens. We pray. We pray that, that the generations that come after you, they will be known as followers of Jesus. No more will there be drug addiction in our lineage, church. No more will there be alcoholism. No more, church, will there be divorce in our story. Our children's children, children's 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 children will look nothing like the generations that came before. What a blessing that is, church. We're not left guilty. We're blessed. And with that in mind, church, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. This morning, maybe I'd encourage you, church, Maybe for some of us in this room, maybe we've been fighting the conviction of the Lord. I'll just say this morning, church, if the Lord is stirring something in your heart, remember that he doesn't leave us guilty. That feeling that you have of guilt, a feeling of like, man, I'm not living up to it. That feeling of like, I feel like I've messed up so many times. I feel like I've fallen short. God doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to free you from that. That's the conviction of the Lord. This morning as you pray, may you pray those things. Lord, cleanse my heart. Give me a new heart, Lord. And for some of us, church, this morning, let us not just pray for our hearts. Church, let us pray with confidence that if you have little ones that they would never know a day where they didn't love Jesus, pray that prayer. I don't want my children to have my story. I, I really don't. I want them to always know the Lord. Maybe your generations, the generations in your household, maybe they've walked away from the Lord. Church, I have the utmost confidence that the seeds that have been sown in their hearts, maybe 10 years, that dream won't come to pass. Maybe it will be like Joseph, 20 years. But I've seen men and women walk into this room at 40, at 45, at 50, at 55. So I heard the word of the Lord. I walked away from Jesus for so many decades and he has brought my heart back to him. Let us pray, church, with faith that that would be the story God is writing in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. Father God, we, we thank you, Jesus, first and foremost, that you do not leave us, Lord, with just a guilty verdict, Lord. Lord, that you bring, you bring us back to life in Christ, Lord. You give us new life in Christ, Lord. You say we are free and free indeed, Lord. So right now, Father, I pray for all the guilt and shame that might be resting heavy on the shoulders in this room, Father. May it just be surrendered. May it just be put at the foot of the cross, Lord. And may, may today, Lord, may you create in us, Lord, a, a clean heart, Lord. May your mercies, Lord, that are new each day, may they be poured out on us this morning. And Father, we pray. 
We pray right now, Lord, and we, we, we pray for this generation, which means everyone who's alive today. We pray, Lord, that this generation would turn to you, Lord, and follow your ways and abandon the ways of the world and surrender to you, Lord, and follow you. And Father, we also pray, Lord, I don't even know how many generations there are, generation boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, the Gen Z, the G I don't even know, Lord. You know all the, 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 the letters of the generations, Lord. Father, stir something in those hearts, Lord, in each generation, Lord, to walk in the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. May we, may we preach your word, May we reach those who need to be reached. Father God, may we continually put you at the center. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to connect with us on our website at covenantsoilstown.org to watch live on Sunday morning. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. 